Thank you for a, a spiritual father who truly cares about you and who truly cares about your people, who truly knows love. And I ask, Lord, that you would anoint him and bless him and strengthen him and inspire him to release your heart, to release your truth. And we ask, Father, that our hearts would be open to what you have to release to us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good to be here. And tell us again, Gary, the name of your, your friend. Tim, thank you. Wow. Outstanding. Outstanding. If you have a Bible, please, uh, please open it to Matthew chapter 9. Sure. We're going to make an announcement. Uh, Michael, come here. Isaiah, 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 come got some answers to prayer. What do you want to say? Uh, Saturday, right around... She said yes. I also uh, proposed on Sunday, and Laura also said yes. Stand up, girls. Stand up. Come on. They're the happy future brides. Way to go, guys. Way to go, gals. We like this. We like weddings, and we like marriage even more. So we want to pray and believe that God is bringing together men and women in holy matrimony. We prayed for it. We're seeing it happen. Bless the Lord for that. Good going. That's great news. Matthew chapter 9. When, uh, when Paul invited me to come and teach tonight, I'd asked if there was something that you guys were studying, and he said, the harvest. And uh, Paul invited me, but didn't in any way demand that I address this subject, but I would like to. And I'd like us to read from Matthew 9, uh, verses 35 through the end of the chapter. Anybody want to read that out loud? Somebody say they have it? Go, go for it. Thank you. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. 
like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Yes. Hmm. We're so thankful, Holy Spirit, for this word that is provided for us. Only you can enlighten us and awaken us to what Jesus was saying here. Please open our hearts now and and make this clear and use it to transform us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to make some observations about this, this text. There's people who don't know God. Is that evident? They are directionless, like, like sheep, without a shepherd. And if they don't find God, not only will they miss out on heaven, but they'll never be the person that God intended them to be. And when Jesus saw them, how did he feel? He felt something, it says. He didn't just think something, he felt something. What did he feel? Compassion. Compassion. He was moved. When we observe people who don't know God, what do we what do we feel? That's a question I think each of us needs to consider because as, as I think about the church, as I think about people who profess to know Jesus, some of them who make that declaration very boldly, I sense that some of, some of them care very much like Jesus cared. And some feel contempt for people who don't know God. In fact, uh, because I'm working at a, a theological institution, which is far more than a theological institution, I get to hear, sometimes I have to hear, the thoughts people have about the, the question of the hour. And back when I was a young man in seminary, pretty much everyone was saying the question of the hour is biblical inerrancy. That goes back decades. That's what was being debated. Is the Bible the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God? Today, I often hear that the issue of the hour, the particular matter where we need to draw a line in the sand, is the matter of gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual matters. And I'd like to suggest to you that that is not the the question of the hour. That that is not the primary thing that God is calling our attention to, but that in this hour, where there are certainly a lot of questions on that and many other subjects, the primary concern for the church should not be where we stand theologically on that issue, but it should be this. Are we living like Jesus lived? Do people who are gay and bisexual and transgender, do they feel the compassion of Jesus when they meet us? In 1 John 2, 6, it says, if we say we, we abide with Him, we need to walk as He walked. I was reading a little bit online about 
a, a heretic in the days of John Calvin. If you're familiar with John Calvin, you'll know he was a reformer, a brilliant man. He wrote a lot, preached a lot. What you may not know about Calvin is that Calvin was a person who loathed theological heretics. There was a man in his generation named Michael Severtus who didn't believe in the Trinity. Theologically, it was widely recognized he was a heretic. In a letter that's available today, Calvin said, I can't wait till he comes to Geneva. We will not let him leave alive. While Calvin was concerned about theological orthodoxy in his own life, I submit to you that he was guilty of behavioral heresy. And I think we live in a day where we've grown proud of our theological orthodoxy. And we like to sharpen swords with each other. And we like to hear where we stand on various issues. And I'm not here to say that issues are not important, but I'm here to say they're not of primary importance. I find myself growing more and more tired. Maybe some of it has to do with my age. But I think more than likely it has to do with the reality that Jesus is drawing me to care more about truth that transforms than truth that bludgeons people. I never want to compromise the truth, but the truth I'm primarily concerned about is the truth that causes me to look more like Jesus Christ. When Jesus encountered these people who were directionless, he gave them good news and healing. Some of the church is giving people who are outside of the kingdom good news and healing. And some of us are giving people a scorecard. Some of us are giving people a list of where they fail God. And we want them to know how much God is disappointed in their character. As if by simply amending their character, they will now be acceptable to God. And they haven't learned, these Christians haven't learned that God loves them and the people outside of the kingdom as they are and not as they should be. Do you agree with that? Jesus said, after... His resurrection, as the Father sent me, in John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. He's called us to care in the same way that he cared about people who don't know God. And he's calling us to bring good news, not bad news, to each and every one. And he's calling us to be vessels that God can use that can bring healing that will transform to each and every one. Here's where we can begin. We can begin by asking God to help us care the way His Son cares. 
The truth is, I haven't always cared, or perhaps I should say it this way. I think there are times during every season of my life I've cared. But I can also see evidence that there were some people I didn't care about. And what I've learned over the years is, if you have contempt for someone, it's impossible to hide it. They will know it. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus makes us what we can't make us. That Jesus can put stuff inside of us that isn't there. That we can love because He first loves. That we can love because the Holy Spirit sheds abroad in our hearts the love of God. I remember growing resentful towards someone that I had a close personal relationship with. I had never guessed that I would be vulnerable to resentment. I never, ever imagined it. You could have knocked me over with a feather when I realized that my heart was filled with resentment toward a particular fellow believer who had, in fact, hurt me very badly. But I valued our relationship. And I was very alarmed at my resentment. And the truth is, I was so resentful, I didn't even want to ask God to take it away. And I knew, at least intellectually, based on my understanding of the Bible, that this was also alarming to God. And it was not a condition that would be helpful to me. That all things that God deems sinful always do three things. They always dishonor God. They always injure the person who's sinning. And usually there's collateral damage too. And they always open a door of opportunity to the enemy of our souls. So I knew that intellectually, but I was so resentful. I just wanted God to stick it to this person. I wasn't even interested in having God change my heart, but I I knew just enough by the grace of God to just simply ask the Holy Spirit to begin to make me willing to invite Him to change my heart. I am so thankful for David's transparency in Psalm 51 when he recognized his own need to pray to God to ask Him to make Him willing because we're not naturally compliant with God. Have you discovered that? By nature and by birth, our motto is, My will be done. And by new birth and by growth, our model will continually become, over the course of time, Your will be done. So I prayed. And I said, I'm not willing yet, but I know I need to be willing. Will you help me to be willing? And I found the Holy Spirit beginning very quickly to answer that prayer. And in a matter of moments, I was praying for a new heart toward this person. And, uh, and then that night, I went to bed. And when I went to bed, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was in a medical facility, at least as big as this room we're meeting in. And it was a very clinical setting, very, very antiseptically clean. 
And people were running back and forth with lab coats. And four or five of them gathered around me and grabbed me. And they, they had a look of alarm in their eyes. And they said, Mr. McClure, we, we've got your new heart. And I said, well, this sounds like this is a serious deal. And they said, yeah, it's a serious deal. We're going we're gonna to do a heart transplant. I said, is there time to call my family? They said, there's no time. And the next thing I know, I was being put on a table, and I saw my chest cavity opened up. And there were those clamps that are used in heart surgery that held my chest cavity open while I was fully awake. And I saw a new heart being placed in my chest, and I woke up with a new heart. I can't take credit for that. God is no respecter of persons. That means that what he does for one, he would do for any. And he said, whosoever will may come. I think that means we all qualify. He said, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. And he's not just talking about for an initial salvation encounter. He's talking about your ongoing relationship. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will experience salvation. And what is salvation? If we only even had a glimpse of what salvation is in its fullness. Not, not that we'll ever see it in its fullness this side of heaven. But it's more than fire insurance. So much more than a get out of hell free card. Salvation is first and foremost restoration. First and foremost union and fellowship. And let's understand that when Jesus defined and Paul defined the Christian life, they defined it in these terms. In Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, this is eternal life, that they, my followers, might know you And the word for know is a word that refers to experientially knowing. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they, my followers, might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthians and he says, God has called you into fellowship with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the essence of Christianity. To the Philippians he writes, I want to know Christ. Would anyone have argued with Paul? that he didn't know Christ. And yet he said, I want to know Christ, and I also want to know the fellowship of his sufferings, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. And then Paul said, and I'm praying for you, Ephesians, that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation by which you may know him better, that you might know the hope of his calling and the, and the uh, riches of the inheritance of the saints as, and his immeasurably great power toward you who believe. Wow. He wants us to know this experientially. To really truly come into greater and greater and greater union with God. And a byproduct of that is we get to spend eternity with God. You and I have never looked into the eyes of a person for whom Jesus did not die. There isn't a pedophile on the planet who does not matter to Jesus. There is not a radical Muslim terrorist who does not matter to Jesus. There is not a a gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender person who does not matter to Jesus. There is not a self-righteous Christian who does not matter to Jesus. There's only one way you can come to Jesus, and that's as you are.
I would like to ask you to ask God to give you the compassion that he feels for people who don't know him. You know, we've all received those cards in the mail that say, they're postcard side that say, have you seen me? There's usually a picture of two children, two missing kids. And most of the time, it's kind of easy for us to casually put that in the recycling bin. But if that was your little brother or your little sister, wouldn't you move heaven and earth to reach that person? Wouldn't you liquidate every asset you have in order to provide the resources to get the help that you need to go on the never-ending journey to do what you can do to find and recover this person? God has moved to that extent and more for all the people that we have had contempt for, for every one of them. Let's ask God to help us to care. And let's, according to the text, pray for laborers. I suggest to you that there's a connection between praying for laborers for this ripened harvest and the arrival of laborers. Pray for laborers. And pray for people who don't know God consistently. Especially the people that are in your individual circle of influence. Sociologists estimate that each of us has about 120 people in our individual circles of influence. And that would include people in your immediate family and your extended family and your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends. It's actually not that hard if you decided to write out people that are in your circle of influence, put down their names and figure out that you have more influence than you realized. My suggestion is that before you even begin to consider having a conversation with any of them, pray. Pray. Some of you know who D.L. Moody was. He was more or less the Billy Graham of his generation more than 100 years ago. It was discovered at the end of his life that he had a list of 100 people that he prayed for consistently throughout his life. At the time of his death, 96 of them had come to know Jesus. At his funeral, the other four came to know Jesus. <laughs> Praying for people who don't know God does not guarantee that they'll come to Jesus because God does not coerce people to come to Jesus through your prayers. And we know that it is only by the Father drawing people that they can come to Jesus. But I'd like to suggest to you that your prayers make more of a difference than you will ever realize. So please, identify the people who are in your individual circle of influence. And I'd suggest that you devote one day a week to praying for the people in your neighborhood. If you live in an apartment building, you live in a house with a bunch of people, whoever the people are in your neighborhood, find out who they are, rake their leaves like Paul had suggested, get to know names and begin to pray for them and begin to bless them, even the stinky neighbors. The neighbors that are hard to get along with. Pray for them. Pray for co-workers. Pray for family members. Family members who are Hard to get along with. Put them at the top of your list. Ask God to open their hearts. Pray consistently. It's easy to lose heart. 
It's easy to wonder if your prayers are making a difference. Now that virtually every Wednesday, I've been praying for people in my extended family for several decades, and, uh, and I know some other people in my family who found Jesus. We have a, a very large family, have been praying. And I was actually losing heart. I said, Lord, I haven't, I haven't learned of anyone in our family coming to know you for a long time, and I'm just getting pooped. I'm, I'm just running out of gas, and I need some encouragement. And the very next day, it was a Thursday, I got a letter in the mail from a niece in Charlotte, North Carolina. And she said, Uncle Kevin, I wanted you to know that I found Jesus. Yeah. And so has my husband, and so have our children. Don't stop praying. What chance do people have if we're not praying? Where can we begin? We can begin by asking God to help us to care. We can ask God to provide laborers. And we can pray consistently for the lost in our circle of influence. We can love them as they are and not as they should be. I'd like you to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. In this text that I'm going to read, Jesus shows us what love looks like. We're going to read verses 35 and 36. I'm reading from the NLT. Jesus says, love your enemies. And then look at what follows. It's very clear by what follows that he's not talking about feeling affection toward them. He says, love your enemies. Do good to them. He's talking about how you behave. Lend to them. Don't be concerned that they might not repay. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he's kind to the unthankful and those who are wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Do good. Do good. Be compassionate. Behave well. Demonstrate God's unconditional love to people who don't know him. And finally, be ready to share what God's done in your life. First Peter three fifteen, Peter said, always be ready. Always be ready to share an account of the hope that you have, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Always be ready. Please understand that sharing the hope that you have is not about winning a debate. It's not about answering all of the questions. If I'm given a choice between winning a person and winning an argument, I want to win the person every time. We don't always know what role we're playing in the overall scheme of things in helping people inch closer to Jesus. Some of us love to be the closers. We like to be the person who gets to pray with a person who's searching for God. I love to be that person. In the overall scheme of things, actually, I've very rarely gotten to be that person. More often than not, I get to play 
a role. And I want to be a person who doesn't make it harder for people to meet the most beautiful Savior in the world. Shall we pray? Holy Spirit, I thank you for the lovely, the beautiful Christians of Communitas. I thank you for your precious sons and daughters. And I pray that everyone here will know how much they matter to God. And that this conviction will grow and that it will transform them to the place where they want others to know they too matter. Would you use each and every one of us? Would you help us to be yielded to you and available? Would you help us to care the way you care for people who don't know God? Would you help us to to pray for laborers. We pray now for laborers. Perhaps there's some laborers here. We, we heard about some people who went out to Kansas City. And Lord, we're thinking of those kind of laborers and the laborers who are simply in the trenches day after day, working in the marketplace and, and being a good neighbor and being a good family member. Lord, we need both. We pray for laborers. And would you also help us to care enough to pray consistently? for people who don't know you. Lord God, use us. I pray that you will use this community of faith to change the Twin Cities, to turn the Twin Cities upside down for your glory. And Lord, would you protect us from the ego that gets involved so that if we do lead someone to Jesus, we sometimes treat it like another notch in our belt. God, deliver us from such an attitude. Help us to go low and help us to want you alone to receive the glory. It's not important that people remember us, Lord, but it's very important that they remember you. So we thank you for this community of faith and what you've been doing here, what you're going to do. We're so thankful. Thank you for the way you are meeting us here tonight. If you'd like to tell God you're available, to have him give you the heart that cares. Go ahead, just tell him. I want that heart, Jesus. I want the heart that, that cares. I want the heart of compassion that Jesus has for directionless people, people who don't know God. I pray that you'll take any contempt out of me. Forgive me for any contempt I've had. Forgive me for any attitude. It isn't reflective of the attitude of Jesus. Have mercy on me and transform me. And use me and help me to be ready. Help me to be a kiss from Jesus to people who don't know him. And Lord, may you alone receive the glory. Amen. I felt God show me two things. And the first one Kevin already did is that he wanted to release a greater compassion to us. I believe that there is a grace of God to, uh, to release an impartation and that you've already received that. Number two, I believe, is a challenge from the Lord. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit in every one of our minds to place a name of somebody who has hurt us right now. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that each one of us will get a name of somebody that who has hurt us, who's hurt us deeply. Bring it to mind. And I ask, Father God, that that person the way we think and feel about them would meet your heart of compassion in us.
And Father, I ask that you'd give us the grace now to pray for this person. But I don't want it to be done just between you and God. I think God wants us to break up in groups of two or three. There's power in agreement, right? Where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there with them. So I want you to break now in groups of two or three. You don't have to say the name of the person or what they did, but just pray for them out loud and take turns doing that. And then any, any other prayers you want to pray, great. But we're going to believe that grace is going to be released tonight to people who are broken because the reality is, is hurt people hurt people, right? So we're going to believe that the power of God, the love of God, is going to be released into you know, maybe 120 lives tonight. That your prayers and your heart is going to make a difference for somebody who really hurt you. Does that sound good? Okay, so please find a person right now. Find a person or two. We're going to break up in groups. Do that right now.